Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another episode of the Good Life Radio Podcast. A hot, humid, sunny, but beautiful day here in New York City, the 13th day of June, 2015. Phone number, as always, 607-203-5330. So here in New York, we have the Yankees and the Mets both battling for first place. We're only a week or so removed from American Pharaoh winning the Triple Crown. The Stanley Cup playoffs is finally winding down. That seems like it goes on for months, doesn't it? We're watching the legendary NBA Finals in where LeBron James could take the title as the greatest basketball player who ever lived. So what are we going to talk about here in New York? How about a little, you guessed it, Kentucky basketball? Everyone knows about my unhealthy love affair, or I guess ex-girlfriends and family would call it an obsession. Uh, sadly and embarrassingly, I actually posted on Twitter, I missed another holiday because of a Kentucky basketball game. Easter Sunday, the one holiday my mom has, she plans the entire family goes to her house. And that was the night before the uh, unfortunate, tragic loss to Wisconsin in the Final Four. The other night I was watching the Christian Leitner documentary, the 30 for 30. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. And last time I watched it, I reached out to Sean Woods. Sean Woods came on the show. And I looked at the roster from that team. And I started reminiscing because I've told the story numerous times. That's the first college basketball game I ever watched. And I looked at the roster, and I remember growing up feeling an immediate connection to today's guest. The only connection we really have is that we're both from New York City, and I guess we both have a love for, uh, for Kentucky basketball. So I reached out to him. Right away, he agreed to come on the show. So without further ado... Six foot ten from Brooklyn, New York, the rejector, Kentucky legend, Andre Riddick. Andre, thanks for joining my show, my man. What's going on? Oh, not much. How you doing? Not much. Uh, listen, before we even get into your journey to Kentucky basketball and overseas, what is Andre Riddick, the Kentucky legend, up to now? Uh, at this moment, I'm trying to get into uh, coaching college basketball. Uh, I just started looking around last week, trying to coach in the Northern Kentucky area, so trying to look at UC and Xavier and Northern Kentucky University and uh, a few others just to see if they have any openings. And I'm just in the beginning now, of the process, so we'll see how it goes. I'm sure you'll succeed in that. Listen, you succeed in everything else you did. Now, you grew up in Brooklyn, and you had a really, really rough childhood. We don't even have to get into it, but my, I'm always curious. When basketball was an outlet for you, when did you know that basketball was going to be your ticket out of a very rough neighborhood that you grew up in? When when was that moment for you that you knew that this can get you out of that neighborhood? I would say my junior year when I started playing with the uh, New York Gauchos, I started playing uh, AAU ball. Uh, we started going around all over the city playing with a, a pretty good team. And uh, college coaches would flock, you know, in the gyms that we played in. That's kind of when the letters start rolling, rolling in and uh, start getting contact with different schools, uh, that's the moment when I understood that I, I could possibly go to school, you know, just from playing ball. Uh, up until that moment, I didn't really think about that, you know, because uh, just, just in our school play, I don't think I would have got that kind of exposure. But uh, playing for the Gauchos, it, it kind of took me the exposure to another level. And, you know, that's kind of what it, I realized. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the Gachos because Felipe Lopez comes on the show. Usually once a month, we'll just catch up with each other. And he said that's his moment. He always knew he was good, he was talented. But once he started playing with the Gauchos, that's when he really started getting recognized and getting letters. It's funny, 
it, and that's why when people rip up these AAU teams and stuff, that's where a lot of these kids get noticed. Is playing for the Gauchos, playing for these travel teams, it makes it easier for college coaches. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, but looking at it now, I, I recognize that we, uh, as uh, you know, the Gauchos and being on uh, like teams like Riverside and teams like that in mean, New York City, it was a bigger program. You know, the programs were that much, so much bigger than kind of like what I know is here in, in the Kentucky area, where the teams, you know, they might not get that much exposure. Where we we got exposure like all the time. Like every time we we played in like those big tournaments, we would see like you know, so many different coaches in the stands. Uh, I remember one one game was half empty. It wasn't even really any people in there, but it was like seven, eight coaches in the gym. You know, Division One <laughs> coaches just checking the game out. You know, so it's it's something really uh, I think unique about kind of like playing there and, and the opportunity that you have to play AAU ball there. Now, Andre, you were recruited pretty pretty heavily coming out of high school. We're all glad you chose you know to become a Wildcat. What other schools legitimately had a chance to land you, and what made you choose Kentucky? I'm always curious because now choose Kentucky because let's look at the last 10 years or the last eight years. You're a top player. You're going to Kentucky. You're going to go in the first round. Back then, Kentucky was on its way up. What made you choose Kentucky out of high school? Oh, that, that, right before that time, uh, Coach Chino's with the New York Knicks, and myself and my my friends and I would go to games and uh, you know check them out. We Saw the style of play that you know that he had going with the Knicks, and uh, it was just something really exciting to watch. And, and also, like Jamal Mashburn was one of my teammates on the Gauchos. He's a year ahead of me, and I mm-hmm. played against him during the Catholic School Division you know, that year that year before. So the uh, year before he left, so it's kind of like those two things were the factors. I looked at uh, legitimately. I was looking at Syracuse, Pitt, and uh, and UMass when uh, Coach Cal was there. So. Those are kind of the schools I was, you know, really looking toward, looking to go to, you know, if I didn't go to Kentucky. But uh, it was just Coach P being from New York and me just thinking that would be a good chance to play, you know, for former NBA coach and, and see what I can learn and see what how far he can take the team. Now, I'm a rare breed. I'm a born and raised in New York, diehard Kentucky fan. They really they ruined my life. They're the reason I'm single right now. But my question is. No one really understands the obsessive fans of Big Blue Nation. What's the what difference, and was it overwhelming coming from Brooklyn, playing basketball, to go to Kentucky, where you're you're in this fishbowl? Can you describe the, the biggest like I guess adjustments moving down there? Yeah, you know, it just, it just goes from meeting people, and you know, just from that my freshman year, just going, you know, we go out and go to restaurants. Anytime we're out in public, you know, just people coming up and just sharing the history of them watching the Kentucky basketball. You know, I, I remember being in parties and, you know, trying to hang out and somebody would come up and tell me about, you know, how their, them and their grandfather would watch games and how the whole family watches the, the game. So, you know, for seasons and seasons, that, you know, uh, for a long, long period of time. So uh, it's kind of like it was foreign to me because I didn't get, really get to watch um, Kentucky that much before I chose to go there. Mm-hmm. But once I got there and, and just from meeting the, the the people in public, you know, and kind of like they, them letting me know, like, kind of what kind of tradition I was a part of, you know. And it kind of it changed the way I looked at things. It changed the way I went out there and played because it was something that really the coach, you're not going to get that from the coach, you know. When you go out, see people, and you see how much, you know, the program means to them, you know, that, that really has an effect on how you play. 
Now, I read somewhere, hopefully I'm not misquoted here, that you said you didn't love or appreciate uh, basketball coming out of high school. How did that affect your game, if it did affect your game in Kentucky? And what do you mean by you didn't love the game growing up? I'm, I was always curious when I read that. Yeah, I, just, I really had this play because my brothers play. And I, I just wanted to be like my older brothers. Uh, one of my brothers, he was a you know, big, big star in New York City uh, at a public school. And uh, he didn't go that, that far college-wise. And my other brother, he went to uh, Fredonia University and played ball. But uh, I just played, you know, I was big, but I didn't really enjoy the game. I, you know, when I speak about enjoying the game, there's a there's a love for the game where you want to go out and, and play it all the time and you get into it and, you know, you put that extra effort in it and, and to be better. And I didn't, I didn't want to play at all. I just, I kind of just stumbled upon the sport just because of my height, you know. So mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I would say it didn't really kick in until, you know, I started to enjoy it more so uh, kind of like my senior year of high school and a little bit more in college. But I never really – in college, I never really got to the point where I enjoyed it. I didn't really start enjoying it until I was already playing pro ball. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so now you played on a bunch of great teams in Kentucky. And I don't know if you heard the beginning of the show, but my first ever game I ever watched, all my friends are front-running Duke fans, and basically as a joke, I rooted for Kentucky. I was 11 years old. I knew nothing about Kentucky basketball. That was your freshman year. Uh, it was the late in your game. Take me through the shot. Because Sean, Wood, Sean Woods was on last week. Obviously, he hit the shot to make the score 102-101. Take me through the last play of the game, which broke my heart, made me cry. I want to hear, hear it from your, your voice. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like when the right before that, when when we went to overtime and you know, Jamal Mashburn found out, you know, we, you know, it was kind of like a big, big blow to the team. Him being our, our leader and you know, so much that he brings to the table. So it was kind of like, it felt like we didn't know what we were gonna do. And then when we stepped into, you know, we kept continuing to play. You know that, you know, guys just kept scrapping, guys kept playing. You know, it's, it's just a credit to those guys. You know, the, that team, the, the, the mindset and the heart that they play with, you know, Richie Farmer and Darren Fellhouse and uh, John Pelfrey and Sean Woods and, uh, and just all, all the guys on the team. We learned from those other guys just how to play and, and with tenacity, and, and we, we would never give up on anything. So when Sean hit that shot, you know, that was that was the moment where we were like, oh, we got it, you know. Because mm-hmm. so, right before that, we were like, oh, man, well, you know, without match, what are we going to do? So really, you know, in our minds, and I thought, personally, we, you know, we won the game. I didn't feel like, you know, there was going to be a chance for them to make a play in that. I mean, definitely make a play, but not not that precise of a play. And uh, you know, I just think, you know, Coach P made that read to, to not play, put anybody on the ball. And, I, you know, going from what he told us, and you know, he wanted to go for the steal, you know, because that's how he, he is. It's the thing is, nobody, I think, because guys, you know, when they get in that situation, they don't want to foul. So mm-hmm. kind of like, I think that is what, you know, kind of led to, you know, him being able to just get that shot, you know, because we didn't really go for that still. Uh, and he was perfect all game long, you know. Christian Lincoln was, a, was an awesome player. And, and, you know, if anybody was going to make that shot, you know, it was going to be him. And that's the way we were going to throw the ball to anyway. So, you know. It's, of, course, uh, of course it was going to be Christian Lincoln. He, of course, it, it couldn't have been that game. That's one of the greatest college basketball games he's ever played or anyone's ever played. Of course it had to be late and it hit that shot. Now let me ask you. Leitner shouldn't have thrown out of the game to step in on Timberlake. If Leitner does that to you, is it a different ball game? What do you do? Because Timberlake's like a timid guy. You know, he just stood up. What What would you have done if Leitner stomped on you? <laughs> um, but that's the thing. Um, yeah, I feel like he should have been thrown out, but I think at that time, you know, uh, they weren't going to throw him out. I think if, if another player would have did that to him, 
that he would have got thrown mm-hmm. out. Like, say, for example, if I did it to him, I would have got thrown oh. out. But um, <laughs> the thing is, I, I don't I – mean, I think Coach – I mean, uh, Timberlake, you know, he's, he's really smart and, and kept his composure, you know, and that's kind of what you want to do in that situation. Um, and I, I, I know he felt like that was, you know, they were going to kick Chris Lake out of the game. I think myself, you know, I know I, I wasn't that kind of – you know, I, couldn't, I didn't have that – kind of composure, you know. So I know I was probably, you know, I was probably trying to fight him if I, you know, if that happened, you know. But that, I'm, I'm glad it didn't because uh, that was a great game, and I would hate to have myself be a part of anything negative uh, to be a part of that game. So I, I'm really glad it was somebody else, and not, not me. <laughs> now the following, the following year, you get to the Final Four, and you lose to the Fab Five. Now you're getting close to this elusive title. Let me ask you this: Do the players feel the pressure that? I'm guilty of this, that the fan base puts on you players every single year. Are you guys aware of not, like, it, listen, if you guys don't win a championship, like, for example, this year, this is the rare year where you can say, of course, it's a disappointment, but if you don't win a championship, it's a disappointing year. Do you guys feel that pressure now? Now you lost to Duke, and now you lose to the Fab Five. Do you feel that pressure? I think it's, um, the pressure is there, but, you know, we're really just focusing on what the coach is saying and, and what our focus is to winning these games. You know, these, the guys in the locker room want to win, and, and we felt like we had the kind of team that can win. And, and judging from that year before, uh, just going to the final eight, uh, we went far. We took, you know, Duke down to the wire. And, uh, you know, it just gives you confidence going out, out there that you, know, you can just play with anybody. And no matter what, what's on paper, you know, we go out there and play our style of basketball, we have a good chance of winning. And now we're just really, you know, putting up six on the board. That's what you need six wins to win the championship. You know, that's what we will focus on. We'll we we focus on one win to get one step closer. Uh, it's not really about, like, the pressure or anything anybody's saying. I know my freshman year, when we, uh, at the end, towards uh, the end of the SEC uh, regular round, before the SEC championship, we were like, uh, we had maybe like eight losses. Mm-hmm. Me, you know, I thought we, I thought we had like 20 some odd wins, you know, something like that. And, and I felt like, you know, we were doing well and, uh, I remember Coach P came in and was telling us how, like, all the fans was saying how terrible of a season we were having, you know. <laughs> and then I was, like, I was kind of lost because I didn't, you know, they just came off probation. So, you know, that year before, that was already, you know, to go from probation to where we were. That's, I mean, to me, that's awesome. But uh, it just died. That was the thing that made me, you know, kind of recognize, like, what, what we're dealing with, you know. And, and you know, you want to win, fans are excited about the team and, and uh you know, that's what you want to have. And we do a lot of times have a, a team that's capable of winning it. And, you know, it's just like like this year, you know, sometimes we go out there and it doesn't happen. But, uh, you know, that expectation and everybody, that pressure, you know, it, it, it definitely is a part of playing. Now, the following year, I'm talking to Kentucky legend Andre Riddick. There's two important things happen the following year. Obviously, everyone's going to bring it up, and I have to. It's the Rasheed Wallace choke game, of course. So take me through what happened with that. Oh yeah, um, just regular, you know, just guys being physical and, and their style of play. I felt like in the beginning of the game, they felt like they wanted to be physical with us. And they felt like they can, you know, just make us back down. And it wasn't just myself, but I felt like some of the things that some of their players were doing to our players, um, you know, and, and that's something that you know teams choose a certain way to play, and it's not like anything new. Teams try to get physical, and you know, you just show that you're not going to back down, you know. And, I, you know, really I wasn't really trying to do anything malicious, you know. And uh, initially I just filed. I made a dumb file. And uh, 
you know, it would have been over. But he kind of, like, continued through with the elbow. And, like, I just felt mm-hmm. like that was just something too much. You know, I, I couldn't really let that no. go, you know. So. Now, Andre, that year, another big thing happened to you, okay? So, growing up a Kentucky fan, my all-time favorite player, I went down to Kentucky this year. I visited with him. I do his radio show with him. Cameron Mills joins the team. I need you to do me one favor because I'm going to go down to Kentucky next month. I go down there for a few days. I do a show with him, hang out. He gave me a private tour of the Rupp. He brought his championship rings in. I want one good Cameron Mills story so I can rip him up about it. <laughs> well, the thing is with Cameron, uh, you know, it's co- Coach P, with, with Cameron and Scott Patton, you know, that freshman year, they, they really – I mean, those guys, they really, he put them through a lot, you know, just to challenge them and push them to be better. And uh, they were camping, like, every every time, every day after practice, like, they would, they would have to go, like, on a treadmill and do extra running or they would have to go do something, you know, every day. And not just, you know, kind of like the worst expectation. Like, as soon as practice was over, like, those guys hit the weight room and they would just do some kind of extra, like, you would look like, it would seem like it's punishment, but, you know, I think he was really trying to build them up, you know. And uh, so Cameron was a smart guy. He didn't really do it like a lot of dumb things. It's just, you know, that year was that year Coach P was trying to mold them to be tough players. And that's just, that's just what I remember about him, you know, just having to do all that extra work that none of us ever did. Like, I don't remember anybody having to do all the stuff they did, you know, but uh, it wound up working and those guys wound up winning champion, a championship. So, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't have any one particular moment that sticks out. You know, I just know, like, every day the work that he was putting in is just higher. It sucked that uh, he, he could never go take a break. You know, he always had to go do some extra work. Now, you, you graduate Kentucky. You leave Kentucky. What's your biggest regret now? You leave Kentucky. What's your biggest regret from your time at University of Kentucky? Anything? Um, I want to say uh, all the regret really is uh, not having composure out there, like like a Rasheed Wallace game, you know, not not having composure and not doing something like that that uh, – that scars that, that game. You know, I'm really a person who doesn't like to make mistakes. And uh, I wish I was a little bit more mature at that time to, to not do that and just let it be, you know, basketball. You know, like when I did that, I, I had no idea, like, it would be something that people would talk about, you know, over 20 years later. But uh, like, I, I, get, I hear it all the time. I, you know, people want to talk about it. And it's not something that, you know, I, I shy away from. It's just um, I want the game to be always remembered well. And I want I want – I don't want anything negative to be – Apply to any anything that you know, any game that I played you know, on that court, you know, with that with that team, you know, every, everything. Those guys, they they give their hearts, you know, out there. I ever had really. And now you go overseas and you played 18 years, which is absolutely insane that you played professionally 18 years. What's the big now? I'm a huge traveler. I just got back from three weeks in Europe. I'm going to South America in a few months. What's the biggest adjustment from playing outside the state? Now you're a kid in Brooklyn. You get thrown into the basketball bubble of Kentucky. You leave, and now you're going overseas. Like you're just thrown into a whirlwind. What's the biggest adjustment you have to make playing overseas? Uh, it's just like well, everything's totally different. You got you have to be comfortable with being away from from everybody and being away from your family and friends. That's the biggest adjustment I think when when you do such a thing and uh, you're going out to pursue you know a career in professional basketball and. You know, this is a sacrifice you have to make. And I was always, uh, thank God I was always good. Like, wherever I went, I didn't really have these big bouts of, you know, I'm trying to go home or I, I want to go home. You know, I, I wanted to play, and I wanted to get better, you know. So I think that's the biggest thing, just being alone and, and 
having to deal with that. And, and a lot of times when I initially started playing, like you only had like another, like maybe one other guy, one other American on your team. So basically, you and another guy <laughs> in that whole city. You, 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 you two are the only Americans in that city. You know that that you're playing playing with. You know, and then when you play against other teams, you know you see the, they're two Americans. So that's kind of like a big thing I had to deal with. Now you played all over. What and this is a cliche question, but just being a, a, a fellow traveler, what is your favorite place to play in? Not even a place you that you had to play for. I know you were in Belgium. You played. What's your favorite country? Not just to visit and to play in. Um, I enjoy playing in France, and uh, and that's where I would I enjoy visiting too. It was uh, I mean it was it was spectacular just to be somewhere with, with so much history and so much culture. You know, to be able to share that opportunity. You know. For my my friends and family to come visit, things like that. You know, that that was something really special to me, and uh, you know, I had a good time there. It, it just stood out above a lot of other places that I, you know, was able to play or visit. When I interview all different athletes, I interview all different athletes from all different sports all the time. It's my passion doing this. The biggest regret a lot of people say is that they didn't appreciate it. Now you played for 18 years overseas. Did you ever sit back during your run and say, "Wow"? I'm playing basketball, getting paid for it, and traveling the world. Did you appreciate it, or you didn't appreciate it until it was over? Yeah, I appreciated it. I um, initially when I started, I was like, you know, I'm gonna retire. I'm I'm gonna stop playing when I was 29, you know. And, and like when I got to be 29, I really I barely did anything yet, so it was kind of like it wasn't time yet. But over the years, you know, it's, you know, as I continue to play, I, I start to get better as a player and, and just start to learn more about myself and, and what I bring to the table to you know, bring to a team. And I just wanted to be, you know, I got addicted to winning, you know. And, and when I got over there, you know, I won you know, eight championships over the course of my career. And, you know, I would always come back to see, you know, if we can win, you know, go to a winning, you know, winning team. And that's what I did in Belgium. I wound up going. I played there like 10 years, and we won, I think, like six championships there. And, uh, you know, that was the thing. Like, any time I thought about leaving, I would, I would be trying to think about, you know, if I was coming back to a winning team. So that's kind of like the biggest thing. You know, I recognize, like, I, I had great teammates. I had great uh, – I mean, I had guys guys who, you know, uh, had big college careers, guys who didn't, but just guys who, who knew how to play the game and who uh, it's, it's were awesome to play with. I didn't have great coaching that much. You know, I, I have to say I, my best coaching came from Coach P, and it kind of went downhill after that. I, uh, I probably had I probably had one – one, one Definitely a good coach, and another like maybe he was okay, and everybody else it was it was not not that good. But uh, my players and, the, and my teammates and things like that, and, you know, really really was good. Question: Because some people do and some people don't. Do you keep any memorabilia? Have, have you kept anything that you? Because some people keep everything they do. Their first basket. Do you keep any memorabilia? I keep those, you know, little things. Uh, a lot of my things, you know, dealt with championships or something, you know, that we that I won, you know. I don't uh, keep a lot of things, you know, that, you know, I reach certain milestones or things like that. It just, it kind of like it, it, everything is about the team and, you know, my individual goals were not really important to me. It's it what was the team doing? It was whatever we accomplished together. That's what you know, stuck out to me. Now, did it bother you playing for Kentucky? And listen, I'm guilty of this. I'm, like I said, girlfriends have left me my Dad's side of the family doesn't speak to me because I missed a funeral for a Kentucky game. I'm one of those fans. But, you know, I'm also a realist. <laughs> no, no, seriously, Andre, I'm, I'm a realist. Did it bother you or 
do you see where the Kentucky fan base has their, I guess, dislike for Patino now for going to Louisville? Did it bother you or not really? Um, it didn't bother me. The thing was, um, you know, coming in, like I said, I, I wanted to be, you know, with the Knicks before I got there, you know, and, it, and I just felt like, you know, it, it wasn't something that was going to always be, you know, he's he's a guy who who liked the NBA and, and he liked college and liked coaching the NBA as well. So, and every year that we were there, but I, I was there with him, he, he got other offers from, you know, NBA teams and, you know, and, you know, so it was a part of what we're dealing with every, every season, you know, it wasn't. I remember one year he got an offer from the Lakers, and uh, he had a meeting at his house and kind of told us, and he was saying, like, he wouldn't leave. If, uh, if anybody objected to him leaving, he wouldn't leave, you know. And uh, we went down the line asking certain, every every player, like, how he felt about about him leaving. And, uh, like, the first guy, you know, Jeff Shepard, he's, he's uh, I think he was the first guy he talked to, and he was just like, you know, how he wanted Coach P to stay, you know, and, you know, and just going through it, and you know, he didn't even get down the line. The first guy said, "Don't leave," you know, and that was it. And we all, we all got to, we all got to say our opinion, you know. But Coach B stayed with us, you know, because that's what you know the players wanted. You know, so I think you know, Coach B was for the players, and and you know, for me, he was our coach, and you know, for me, like I didn't have a, you know, my, I lost my dad when I was six, you know, so really that was, that was the first person of authority, you know, a father figure who, you know. I was around, you know, and him, and not just him, but you know, other coaches, you know, Coach Donovan and uh, Herb Sendak, you know, they were, you know, trying to lead us and trying to trying to shape us into being, you know, you know, young men with with the way that we could be proud of, you know, that our our parents are, you know, people could be proud of, and I, you know, to me, I don't see Coach B as just a coach. You know, I, I think of all the things that he tried to teach, you know, try to all the things he tried to show me, uh, all and off the court, you know, and. and I know basketball is a business, and you know you're just not guaranteed to be anywhere in any position. So when a job opens up, I understand you know you're going after that job, you know, and I, I understand that when there's a job open, you take it. Louisville is a job open, and you know that's the only. Not that it wasn't the only place you can go, but you know I, I understand that he probably wanted the challenge. There was no bigger challenge than taking Louisville back to the success that they used to know. Um, so you, you know, you I, seem- I really don't, yeah. I don't, I don't have any. Any bad, you know, thought about that. You know, it was it was weird at first, but you know, like like I said, I don't. I love Coach P, and you know, that's just how it is. See, now you just humanize him for me. So now you're gonna make me not hate him. And you know what? I do have a problem hating him. I really do because in '96, remember, 12 years old, I saw watching Kentucky, your game with Leitner. You know, a few years later, we're on the we're on the cusp. We're on this cusp. '96 would be Syracuse. He's the coach. '98, they win it with Tubby still his players. It's so hard for me to dislike him because he brought me so much joy, but it, it, you just made him more human, and now it's bothering me. Now, listen, I love the story from a while back. Um, I guess Cal Perry saw you. I don't know where he saw you, but he gave you a big hug and said you broke his heart by not going to UMass. Do you have any relationship right. with him now? Do you, have any, do you have a relationship with Coach Cal at all? Not really. Oh, you know, Coach Cal's been cool, man. He's a uh... Like I go, when I go down there, I don't, I don't I didn't have time to go down there that much. But when I go down there, you know, I can stop in the office and talk to them. You know, I, I remember I sat in one day and uh, while they were like talking to recruits and they had a like a coaches meeting and, and things like that. So the thing is, like, like I really literally almost went to UMass, you know. So it's not a, uh, you know, I do know him. He like 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 I said, he did recruit me. So yeah, you know, he's been pretty cool and he's been the coach who kind of bridged that gap between uh, the old players and. The, the current players, you know, inviting guys back to play in alumni games and, you know, getting guys back who, you know, 
gave their, gave their you know, heart and soul on the court and, and kind of like haven't been back, you know, really since. So he's, he's the one who, you know, had the guys, you know, from all different eras come back and play. And, and that was something that was missing. And I think that's important to him. You know, I think he's, he's also had, like, uh, ex-players on his coaching staff and you know, trying to get them in, in, the, in the game. So uh, I think Coach Cal is great. And, like, the point that you, you made about, you know, kind of where Coach P took the team, but it's kind of like the same thing. Coach P took it where it was probation, you know, where – we were, the program was a shambles, so you can't really X him out of that. You know, he he brought the program back, man. He brought the program back a second time. So you, I don't think you can eliminate either coach from, you know, history of, of school. Just both. Andre, then we lose you. Andre? I think we just lost Andre Reddick. He'll be calling back. I have another few minutes to – a few other questions to ask him. Coming up on this this week's show, though, after months and months and months of harassing him to the point of no return, Pete Rose is finally going to be coming on. I think the agreement was that Pete Rose will come on if I promise to stop emailing him. Uh, I wrote to him one time on Twitter, and he was gracious enough to write right back. He wrote back two seconds later – He's like, hey, contact my manager. So I contacted his manager, and we're emailing back and forth. I'm like, listen, I just messed around. I do a little podcast. I would love to interview Pete Rose. All right, Andre Riddick's back on. Let me get Andre on. I'll tell the Pete Rose story in a minute. Andre, you back? Hey. Yeah, I'm back. Uh, you, yeah, you need to get get rid of Sprint, man. Your phone's horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> one, more, one, one, one more thing, and I'm joined by Kentucky legend Andre Riddick. One thing about Cal Perry, this time that we're in with social media, where anything that happens, social media blows up, Twitter, Facebook, um, whatever everybody else has. Anytime a job opening opens up in the NBA, the Pelicans fire the coach, ESPN's reporting, Cal Perry's interested. Um, a- anywhere, because now there's rumors that if uh, Carl Towns goes to the Lakers, he's going to go there and coach Towns and Randall. Do you see Cal Perry leaving anytime soon, or do you think he's going to be the life around Kentucky that all the fans want? I don't think he's... I don't see him leaving soon. I think um, it, it, it's, it's a part of, you know, when you're doing, he's doing a great job, and I think, you know, these NBA teams recognize that. And I know that there are some sort of stories that, you know, a lot of times they will pursue uh, Coach Cal. But um, I feel like he has a good thing going. I think uh, he's getting top talent. I think he's, he's definitely put himself in a position to win championships every year. And I think if they change that rule where uh, players have to stay two years, I, I definitely think that would be something to have that would have him stick around because then he can have more time to build with guys, have more time to have the players mature. And I think if he can get the same talent level that he that he's getting now and have that, have guys you know, mandatory have to stay two years. I think you know that that'd be something you know, huge as far now, as you know choices that it makes. I appreciate you spending some your Friday with me. Give me a few more minutes of your time. Um, I always ask this question to everybody, and I I this is my I love this answer and. Every, everyone obviously has a different answer. You and I are out in New York City. We're trying to impress some people. You take out your cell phone right now. Andre Riddick wants to impress people at the bar. Who's the coolest person in your phone? Every person who's ever came on the show, I think I did 150 different interviews, 120 different athletes. Everyone has crazy answers from someone had Obama's number, Jordan's number, but then some people have uh, celebrity numbers. You want to impress everyone at the bar. Who's the coolest person in your phone right now that you can call? Not because I have 
Scott Boris's number, but I stole his number, so that doesn't count. So a number that you call, and <laughs> a number that you call, and they're going to call right back. Um, mine's I say Walter McCarty, since he's an NBA coach. I was going to say Orlando Antigua because people love Orlando, but mm-hmm. I'll say I'll say Walter McCarty. <laughs> and now, so now, if you text Walter, he's texting you right back. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good answer. Number forty for Kentucky. Okay, best player <laughs> you ever played. Best player you ever played with. Uh, Jamal Mashburn. Hands down. Yeah, nobody was like Mash. I, I, you know, I, he, he had so much talent. Uh, you know, I, and being a, playing against him, you know, in high school, and then playing with him in AAU ball, and then having an opportunity to play with him at Kentucky. You know, I, I just saw the progression over the years. You know, of what. Came, the play he came as and the play he left as, you know. And uh, I don't I don't have to play with anybody like just at his magnitude. Man, he, he I mean he can go out and kill the game in so many different ways. It was a, uh, you know, it was a, it was just a, just a, a wonderful a thing to be a part of. And, and as a teammate, you really got to take advantage of all the double teams, triple teams, so they're trying to stop him. And you know he's passing the ball to you, and you know it was just a lot of us, you know. Got what we got from Mash, you know. So you know it's, that's one of the guys that I, you know, I haven't played with anybody better than him. Right now, what LeBron James doing to me, I think it's just absolutely breathtaking. It's fascinating. We're witnessing, I think, the evolution of the greatest player ever. Who wins the NBA Finals? It's tied two-two. Who wins the NBA Finals? I think Golden State. I think uh, I just think the Cavs don't have enough manpower. I, I think. Just just from last game, you know, they they went to that small ball, and I don't think that was really that big of a deal playing small a small lineup. But the thing is, the Cavs don't have dependable guys who you know can come out and just get you know be consistent out there. They have role players who you know they're gonna play the role, and now that you're asking those role players to score you know score double your your points that you normally score, you know that's that's a tall order you know, for the team that they have. I think they threw the, a team together. Um, trying to sign guys once LeBron, you know, came and they didn't really get that opportunity to, to sign like a a great, great bench, you know, for him. They have, you know, what they have. And, and I think next season they'll, they'll go out and get, you know, guys be, you know, more dependable. But I think at this point, you know, it just doesn't from just the games that they play, you know, they they always, you know, they have to lead. They they should be they should be up, but it was mm-hmm. 1-1. Because, you know, those guys that they have, Having to use because of injuries, you know, that those those guys are just not used to playing at, at this level and having that big expectation that LeBron does. LeBron is used to it. Uh, you know, those Curry and those guys they're getting used to it for their first final. It's something that they're establishing. But and you, and you see, this is why you know you pay the stars so much money because these guys come out and deliver. While your role players, you know, they they sometimes cannot come out there and just you know dominate on on call like that. You know. So I think I think Golden State to win. All right, two more questions. Now, you, obviously, you have a love of the game. Now, you can hear. Listen, you played 18 years overseas. You have passion when you talk about it. You mentioned getting into coaching. How does that process even work to getting to coaching? Because Sean Woods is coaching now, former player. Travis Ford, former player, coaching. Now, you played overseas for so long. Do you feel that you're like maybe out of the loop, or is it a hard transition to get into coaching? No, I think so. It's, it's a definite grind. You know, you have to. You know, to go out and, and nobody's going to be, you know, really trying to let you in. You know, you got to have to go out and kind of make your way. And I, I know Sean, you know, did it that way. He, he he had to go along. He didn't get a lot of a lot of help. You know, he had to 
really get, you know, really get it, get your hands dirty and go, you know, go out and do get network and go out and just let people know what you're trying to do and look for that one opportunity. The one thing I, you know, I, I just want to see what the opportunities are and I, I'm, you know, see what they are and make a decision. But you know, I know it's, it's it might be a situation where I have to, you know, start low, start uh, kind of on the bottom level and work my way up. But it's just about uh, proving your value and proving your worth to teams. And, uh, you know, I, I love the game, and I, I, I'm i not uh, someone who takes it as a joke. You know, it's, it's a game, but it's not a game to me. Uh, so I'm very serious about, you know, this opportunity, and, and hopefully with, with any team that I do work with, you know, that they'll they'll see. Now, my background, you know, it's, I did play overseas, but it's a lot. I did, uh, you know, anytime you try to coach in, in this area, you know, they, teams look at, you know, your your value recruiting wise. So you know, I think I do have that. You know, where you know I, I did play. You know, at, at this school in this state. You know, so I do have that. If I was trying to stay kind of with the local teams, but um, you know, I, I you know I'm gonna have to work hard, and you know, definitely it's gonna be a learning process. But uh, I'm excited about it. Now, finally, what does an older, wise, and mature Andre Riddick tell high school Andre Riddick? One piece of advice you give him. He's graduating high school. He's getting ready to go to Kentucky. You pull him aside. What's one piece of advice you tell him? Uh, I would tell him, you know, if you put the extra work in, you you go you're going to the NBA. And uh, do, you, do you feel that way? Do you feel that if you tr- played, I don't want to say harder because that's ridiculous, but if you would put more into it, you make the NBA. I think, uh, but as, you know, from my from who I was and how I, you know my background and everything, it just. Like I said, I didn't love the game like that, and you know, people who love the game don't don't put in that extra work to be better, you know, all the time. You know, they they only work when they have to. And if I, you know, like I said, if I was, if I was a younger version of myself that I could talk to, you know, I would convince that, you know, really, even if you don't love it, you know, this is an opportunity to to make something big happen, you know, and you got four years to do it, and, and you know, I think if I came with that kind of mindset, you know, I definitely would have been uh, able to make make to play in that top that top competition, you know, and, and there's really not the top of my mind that that, that wasn't took place. It's just it is a matter of, you know, what the effort you put in and, and the hard work that you put in. Now I just want to tell you two things. One, thank you for your honesty any time. And on my level, and I, I don't say this to everybody, growing like when I mean the passion I have for Kentucky basketball, it's it's really sad to talk to a player that I watched growing up and that you know, I was nervous interviewing Cameron Mills because he was my favorite. I wore 21 playing like when I grew up because of him. Watching you grow up, you always get nervous interviewing like a, a player you look up to. I just want to let you know you exceeded those expectations as not only a Kentucky player, a New York City guy, but just an overall great person. I just really appreciate it. And here's what I have to ask you. I don't collect memorabilia. I don't buy stuff from Sign of Sports. But anyone who comes on my show, I send them down a ball, a jersey, a sneaker. I'm going to send you down something. You don't mind signing for me, so I put it on my Kentucky wall, all right? Oh, no problem, no problem, yeah. That's cool. Andre, listen, man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'll keep in touch with you, and best of luck with the coaching thing, and uh, have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. See you later, brother. The great Andre Riddick. I get <laughs> it's so it's so funny. I have a – so what I do I just when I'm bored, I just reach out to old wrestlers, old baseball players, best, any kind of athlete I want to interview. And yet I'm only <laughs> just drawn to these Kentucky players. I know it's sad. That's the reason the ex-wife left, the girlfriends left, the family doesn't speak to me during games. It's the reason why 
come March or February, I purposely sabotage any potential relationship I'm in because of Kentucky. It's the reason I'm going to be single forever. I schedule vacations around the team. But to interview someone like that is just awesome. And I didn't want to get into it, but Andres, he had such a rough upbringing. His father passed away. His uh, brother was murdered. And so when people always, not always, but he was criticized for not quote-unquote loving the game, he had some adversity growing up in a really bad neighborhood in Brooklyn to playing basketball and then getting recruited. Like, that's a lot of these great players. You know, New York City's known for these great players that don't make it out of their neighborhoods. And Andre had one of the worst stories you ever heard. His brother was murdered. His father killed. It's Yet he, overse- he overcame all that. He played 18 years overseas. He's a legend in Belgium and these other countries. But listen, tune in. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Sappho, M-I-K-E-S-A-F-O. Uh, Tanyan Sturtz, former Yankee, you'll be on. Um, Shane McMahon, I met Shane McMahon at work. He, uh, he said he would come on, but he doesn't want to talk wrestling. I don't know what the hell we will talk about, but we'll see what's going on with that. And obviously the Pete Rose interview that I've been <laughs> promoting for two months, whenever the restraining order is over, he'll be on. Everyone have a great weekend. Thank you.